It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the show. It is Monday evening after a eventful weekend. We are delighted to be able to join you. Of course, as always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends, Adam and Andy. He's here, he's here, <laughs> and we are excited. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. Oh, God, what a weekend. Adam, I'm going to start with you first. How was your weekend? Did you have a good one? I had a really good one, thank you. Uh, it felt like I had 77 problems, but the bitch wasn't one. Um, <laughs> oh. <but laughs> it was a very enjoyable weekend. How about yours, Rory? I had a delightful time. Only Saturday, not only was Saturday just I honestly felt high after that game had finished. Just the incredible ending to that game. It took me a while to come down from that. Then there was Sunday, and there was an almighty humbling in the in the coming for some United fans. Andy, how was your weekend? Um, up until about half four uh, yesterday, <laughs> it was actually quite a good weekend. You know, got had some good time looking after the dogs and. Yeah, it was just generally a nice, relaxing weekend, and then it, it, it went a little bit downhill yesterday evening. And then it happened. But before we get there, guys, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to start how we usually do with a few stories from the lower leagues, and we're starting in Italy here. Now, there's one story. We're going to start at the bottom, work our way up, I think. And this is from a page on Twitter called at C Calcistica, who is a fantastic follow if you're into calcio and Italian football. And he posted about Sora in the Eccellenza. They've just been promoted to Serie D already. It's only March. They've been promoted. They lost their first game of the season 1-0, and they've gone on to win the following 24 games out of 25, making them by far the champions there. They've got promoted to Serie D with an average age in the squad of 24. I did a bit of digging. Their top scorer, though, you'll be happy to know, is a 37-year-old striker who's got 19, closely followed by a 38-year-old centre-back 
who's got 13 goals. They are Claudio Corsetti and Andrea Constantini. So we will have to keep an eye out for them in Serie D. But I love that. 37 and 38 years old. A centre-back, 13 goals. It's incredible. They're in the prime. What can we say? Exactly. They must have some set-piece routine <laughs> to die for the centre-back is scoring 13 goals. I was thinking their set-piece coach must be unbelievable. Like, we were talking about John John Carew on Football Manager. Just every single one, like, straight <laughs> yes. from the corners. Um, and moving up from Serie D, there was a video there as well of the atmosphere. The stand looked packed. It was banging. Um, moving up from Serie D, in Serie B... Um, Sud Tirol, who are still pushing for promotion, uh, kind of won the fairy tales of Serie B this year. Their top scorer, 32-year-old Adogwu, he's playing his first season in Serie B. His career's kind of been dogged by injury a little bit, but he is playing in Romelu Lukaku's boots. He scored eight goals this season, and he was out injured, um, and he was kind of going through a bit of a rough time, and he's a huge fan of Lukaku, and apparently his wife managed to get hold of his boots, and now since he started playing in them, He's now Sudtirol's top goal scorer. So love that with a few bangers in there as well. Decent little poacher. And the last story we're going to go to for Italy. I'm not sure if you've seen this, guys. Uh, if I say the name Andrea Compagno, anybody heard the name? No, it doesn't ring a bell. He is currently Italy's highest goal scorer in all of Europe. He has 17 goals in 29 games for FCF. CSB um, in Romania, so what was formerly Stour Bucharest, and he is getting called up. He's being called up to the provisional Italy squad by Mancini. Wow! Um, oh, wow! That's... He has played most of his career in San Marino. Um, he was playing for Trefiori as of three years ago. He's gone to Romania, started tearing it up, and he's been called up to the national squad. He's 26 years wow. old. Um, I was watching a bit of him. Um, he's a big old boy. He's like six foot four. He's massive. Um, classic target man, big and strong, but actually pretty quick feet. And some of his goals, some nice little finishes. So a bit of a fairy tale story there. And what I like is that it shows Mancini's kind of looking, looking a bit abroad, looking in different places to try and finally get Italy to a World Cup. But I love this story. Sounds very Luca Tony esque, doesn't it? Where he was kind exactly. of coming to the latter parts of his career, where he started to come into the national side, and he was quite nimble with his feet as well, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. So uh, it feels like yeah. Mancini is trying to do anything to get a reliable number nine for Italy. Like <laughs> he would do anything to get a reliable number nine. Um, Might have to naturalize a few players, right, Andy? So, yeah, I think if it, like I said, if it takes it to Romania to find that number nine, uh, then so mm. be it. Mm -hmm. He is absolutely tearing it up. So I'm hoping he gets he, he gets called up to the full squad and we see him get his um get his cap. But yeah, a beautiful, beautiful story there. Um guys, we are gonna start the main show. Um and we're gonna start with the Premier League, and then we're gonna go to Soceria, but we're gonna see you in the Premier League right after I do this every single time. I forget the video right after this. And here we are. It is Premier League time. There's only one place to start. Andy, this is your chance to cement your frustration. Are we ready? No. You're going to have to be, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> seeing your smug face is really rude. <laughs> I was over it until I got onto the pod and see your smug ass face. But <laughs> fair enough. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 
I've been thinking about 24 hours of how to sort of put this into um, words that don't contain too many expletives. Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> but <clears throat> as ex- I think as the expression goes, it was a game of two halves. I think, you know, I know a lot of people accuse Manchester United of going into the game, you know, with, I guess maybe like an arrogant mindset or overconfident. But, you know, over the past couple of weeks we've been, you know we've beaten Barcelona we've won we've won a cup final got through you know to the latter stages of the FA Cup uh we've had a game every sort of three or four days and we've come through the challenges that have been presented to us you know sometimes you know, coming from behind um so there wasn't really much reason to think that a Sunday would go the way they did um I, you know, I think looking at the lineup was more or less the strongest lineup we could put out. So there's no sort of excuses there. Um, I think the only change I would have made to that lineup was um, maybe Wan-Bissaka coming in defence for uh, Dello. Um, and mm-hmm. the first half was reasonably evenly matched. You know, Liverpool had a lot of possession in the first 20 minutes, as you'd expect, playing at home. Uh, United came into it towards the end of the first half and the bit that seemed to really the two killer blows was the timing of when the first two Liverpool goals went in so the first Liverpool goal I reckon could have been avoided Dallo was so far out of position to the point I sat next to my mate who's a fortunate Liverpool fan going that's going to go in because he was caught mm-hmm. well out driver sent it back out and to be fair what Gabco did after that in terms of stepping in and that first and, that, and then hitting it fantastic finish can't really argue mm-hmm. too much with that one, to be honest. Um, and then, obviously, the second goal, you know, as a manager, the first, you probably sat there at half-time going, right, you know, let's get get back to basics, keep it solid. Um, but I don't, I don't think Ten Hag could have, anybody could have foreseen what happened in the second half. And I think, you know, I'll say just before we came on there, the only time I could think of a capitulation of this scale of two, you know, top quality teams playing each other was when um, Germany did just beat Brazil mm-hmm. uh, back in the 2014 World Cup. It's the only time of a time I can think that, you know, a bunch of generally speaking top class players uh, have just had a collective meltdown. And I think, you know, there's not a single player uh, that, you know, normally you'd have four or five underperforming players and some of them come out of a bit of credit. Um, in this particular case, none of, nobody in that Manchester United squad from, you know, from, from keeper to defence in the field to attack could be any, could come out of that and go, I did my bit. Um, mm-hmm. Um, as much as he makes the odd world he saves, and I have praised him a fair bit this season. Uh, but the interest of balance, he doesn't he doesn't come off his line, he doesn't claim high balls, he mm. as much as he uses he doesn't sort of make himself big when it comes to saving it. And the two sort of near post goals that he conceded were just embarrassing, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um do you think you, sorry, you kind of said that like throughout the squad, obviously nobody came out of any credit, and we'll talk in particular about players who have got less credit than others. But I think do you think Ten Hag takes any of the blame for this? I think he made a few switches in the team that I didn't really understand. Like Rashford has been absolutely smashing it out on the left, and we were saying pre-game him against Trent could be an absolute feast if he plays that right, and he shifts him into the middle. 
he keeps Veghorst kind of deep in this midfield. Do you think he kind of got it wrong with Liverpool? Like, yeah, I think he I didn't think expect the players to shit the bed, but did he? I think take it was a benefit of high. Work? Yeah, I think it would have been hindsight. I think the reason why he played Veghorst in that slightly deeper role is because he's done that against Barcelona, mm. did that against Newcastle. To be fair, that yielded results, and uh, it's not like Rashford doesn't play through the centre. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there isn't exactly an abundance of striking options yes. as a backup because Martial is. Perm seems to be permanently unavailable at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and I've said numerous times before that a striker is very much needed at Manchester mm -hmm. United, and Weghorst is not it. He's a stopgap solution who, unfortunately, does some things well but doesn't really score the goals, uh, which is a bit of such a part. So, yeah, you could certainly make an argument that putting Rashford on the left, currently into the right, would have been a better choice, but you can still understand why he chose there. I think the other decision as well was. Daller at right back, I thought he was extremely lucky to get a start. Mm -hmm. You know, we all saw the League Cup final. We got roasted by Sam Maximan yeah. uh, for yeah, a good yeah, yeah. first half, got replaced at half time. Wambasa could sort of shut that down. Um, and I think that potentially could have made a difference. And I think with the amount of games that Fred has played recently, as much as his fitness is fantastic, there could have maybe been an argument for putting in Sabitzer okay. from the start. Um, but I think either way that I think a lot of that is probably going down the excuses route. I think, mm -hmm. you know, even if you have played a lot of games in a short space of time, and even if there, the, you know, there's a lot of players who've, who've played probably a lot of football, that there's still no excuse for the, um, shit show that took place. No. I think, like I said, I think, you know, Bruno Fernandes, I know you're not a fan of him generally, but I am, and obviously we'll go on to that, but mm -hmm. I felt that, as a captain, you kind of have to be able to read the room a little bit, if that makes sense. I think, you know, when things aren't going your way, um, you have to sort of lead by example a little bit and, you know, at least do the basics right, at least sort of close down, whereas he kind of descended into a bit of petulance. Um, well, I think, I think what the, the clip that kind of cemented it in my mind, I was like, this guy doesn't give a fuck, is that one where he's chasing Gakpo I think it's Gakpo. He try no, it's Harvey Elliott, and he tries to kick him, misses him. Harvey Elliott continues, and then he just Fernandez just walks the opposite direction of the attack into midfield. He just walks away. He's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna go stand over here. And I was like, if, if I, I've seen players at Arsenal put in absolute shit shows of shifts at Anfield, and we've got battered, but I've never seen a player just completely give up like Fernandez did. And I think if I was a United fan now, I I don't care how good a footballer he is, what he's done in the past, kind of similar to how Xhaka was when he threw his shirt on the pitch and threw a massive tantrum. I'd be saying, I don't want to see that guy in the starting 11 for the foreseeable until he shows us that he gives a shit. Like, how do you feel about him now? Because you know now, as a character, he's potentially not up to it. Yeah, and I think that's a really disappointing thing because I think with United fans, I think he's got enough credit in the bank overall to sort of ride mm. through it. Uh, but that I've seen those kind of performances be the end of the captaincy, certainly for players. I think if you use Arsenal mm -hmm. as an example, with you, you know, William Gallas, uh, Granite Xhaka, yeah. uh, they've they've put in they, they they both had those games in which you know the manager's gone, actually, maybe you're not cut out for manager, mm -hmm. and sometimes you know, should that mean you be cut from a squad? No, I, like I said, I think he's got enough credit in the bank to sort of get through that, but certainly. 
as a captain, I think if I was Ted Hag, I'd make a statement and go, right, you're not playing on Thursday. Um, and, you know, somebody else, captains aside, I think mm-hmm. personally, like, you know, someone like Casemiro or Varane, maybe someone, someone's a bit calmer in that respect. So I think looking at the question we've got on the comments here from 20 United, and I think pointing to that, that is where Ted Hag will earn his money. Is we've been battered seven 0 There's nothing that can be done about it. Unfortunately, it's happened, and it's going to remain there for years. It, I think ultimately the big test for Ted Hag as a co- as a coach and the players as well would be how they react afterwards. They've got yeah, so own- sorry. So just to read the question, the only real question I have is whether United loss will carry on, and will they now have a bad run of form? Will it affect their UEL campaign? So how do you see the next couple? Like, do you think? The ten hog, like ten hog, got them in early for training today, and like they were all there straight away. Do you think he's going to make big changes? Do you think this has lasting effects? Because this is something that you kind of just need to shut the door on and pretend it didn't happen, right? Yeah, it's it's an unknown. Um, I it's difficult to say. I think United have shown signs of being resilient, but like in the thirty three years I've been alive, I've never seen my team lose seven nil. So yeah, and I I don't. So I can't. I know I'm not in the know or anything like that at all. So I I, I genuinely don't know. I would like to think that probably for the Europa League game, he'll make quite a few changes to make mm-hmm. a point. Some some of the younger players who've been in and around the squad will get a start and a chance to impress. And then the next games against Southampton. Uh, mm-hmm. who you know who've got the road problems but will be absolutely be banged up for it i think it's yeah. how they react in those two games will be a really telling point um because i think if they go through those two games unbeaten in both and win both of them then we could at least turn around and say okay last sunday was a disaster but they've reacted in the right way mm-hmm. um yeah. Whereas if they lose those couple of games, you know, one loss could turn into four or five very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's worrying. Um, and I think it's still a confirmation that for all there has been an improvement. Um, yesterday's result doesn't change the improvement that's been in place since Ten Hag took over. It's a night and day improvement compared to what it was mm-hmm. last season. But there is still ultimately a fair group of players that whose long-term future isn't going or shouldn't be at Manchester United. Yeah, um, I think I think what would concern me, Adam, I'm going to get your thoughts on it as well. What concerns me is that United have had these games where they've just held a few goals. Like they conceded six to City, conceded four to Brentford in the past. There have been a few games where you could say when it goes against them, they've not been able to stand up. But if we look at Liverpool... Because I mean, we've done United, United were terrible. I enjoyed seeing Fernandez really upset. But if we talk about Liverpool, it looks like, and now as United were getting battered, in the back of my mind was just, oh, fuck, we're the next team to go to Anfield. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> all that was in my head was, we've got to go to Anfield mm-hmm. next. We've got to go to Anfield next. Um, Liverpool looked bloody good. Salah was back on form. Gakpo and Nunez are. I've been banging the Nunes drum all all, all mm-hmm. season. People have been saying he's not been doing well. He has had a bloody good season so far. He gets a couple of goals. It seems like that front three on the same weekend that Bobby Firmino said he's going to be moving on at the end of the season, which is mm-hmm. a sad time for Liverpool fans. It yeah. does seem like that front three is starting to come together, right? 
Definitely. We said it in the last pods that we felt that this was going to be a close match, but I think what we started to see was just how Gapco is going to be kind of revolutionised into this squad. We knew about Jota coming back into it as well, but I think mm-hmm. you're starting to see a different dynamic. I, for me, personally, I got out of that match was how mature Harvey Elliott was as well. Like I felt like you know, mm. he was the little spark that kind of created the kind of outlet for Liverpool at times. And because I expected, and I was speculating with a friend on Sunday, I thought they might go defensively to match up and counteract what maybe, say, Man United were going to do in the attacking kind of third. But actually, I thought it was quite brave of Klopp to put Harvey Elliott into that mix because I felt like he was kind of that player that could play the ball, run with the ball, which also gives Man United that kind of trouble. And I thought, mm-hmm. when it looks at the balance of the wing-backs, so as Andy alluded to, Dalots is one. Luke Shaw hasn't been completely solid in my eyes. And then you think about the two midfielders that were possibly going to be the protectors. So Casemiro, we know he can do a very good job. Unfortunately, didn't have a good job in this particular match. That second Fred, goal was pretty Fred grim. in particular yeah. as well. Yeah. Fred was dragged out for that first one. And I think that that's the kind of pockets that I think Harvey Elliott kind of takes it around those players or plays the through ball. And that's the mm-hmm. difference. I felt like that was really mature. Like previously, I would have said he still lacks that maturity and how he kind of thinks about how he should play the ball. But actually, I saw a different side. So I think everyone should be a bit more worried about Liverpool and what they can do. I think that definitely puts them back into contention for the top four race as well. Definitely. And I think with Harvey he made a really good point. He had seven passes into the final third, three key passes and one possession back 10 times. So he was doing all the jobs in midfield that he needed to do. I thought, honestly, he was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching him. I think Gakpo, the finishes he puts in were just beautiful finishes. Kind of reminded me of watching him at the World Cup. You're like, oh, there he is, right? That's the guy that we thought was going to be here. Nunes is just always in the right place. It feels like he's just within that six-yard box. He's absolutely lethal. Like, yeah, we've seen him miss sitters. We've seen he still needs to calm Mm. down a little bit. Some of his performances are a bit erratic. But I think, like, Liverpool had to move early for him. I think he's come to the Premier League a little bit too early. They had to be early to scare off other clubs to make sure that they got him. And you're now seeing him get used to the Premier League. I think he's going to be a real danger when he gets, like, properly into that team. That front three for Liverpool looked incredible. The Mm defence still is is gettable. It's still... You can still get at that defence. Like, United showed it towards the end of the first half. When United did get on the break and did start creating chances... They looked vulnerable. But I think the most important thing for Liverpool is that they feel they seem to have the belief back now. And that team, that after this, they know they're going to go on and like they can start yeah. putting a real run together. The only problem for them is that their run of fixtures is pretty rough now. So they've now got um, next weekend... Well, they've got Bournemouth away next. So, well, that's more difficult than you'd think. But then they've got... <laughs> um, then they've got City and Chelsea coming up soon. They've got City away... Then they've got Chelsea at home. Then they've got Arsenal at home. I think Chelsea away, then Arsenal at home. So they've got some really big games coming up. So this is the time for them to really see what they've got. But this big, big win will definitely help them, at Mm. least in the belief. I was really, really impressed. Um, For United, I'm sorry, I just thought, I just did enjoy it. I've seen a lot of United fans going on about, and I know it's not you, Andy, because you're you're level-headed. But there was a lot of United fans going on about quadruples and 
the best uh, centre back partnership in the league and all sorts. I thought this is just the best thing I needed to see. I, I really to be fair, it. I don't think I don't think there was that. I think ninety five percent of Manchester United fans are quite realistic about. No, of course, like ninety five percent of all support bases. <laughs> it's just unfortunately, <laughs> it's just the balance. It's just the balance you get online that exactly make those random predictions. I think realistically, the aim, the realistic aim, was top four in the trophy. Yeah, which looks like despite. Yesterday yes. is still yeah. going to be achieved. I think most fans acknowledge that until uh, there's a change upstairs, that mm-hmm. signifies a good step in the right direction. So, yeah. yeah, but I can understand why a lot of people are fortunately happy. Oh God, it was it was just wonderful. What a Sunday. Anyway, Andy, we're going to put you out of your misery and we're going to move on. You can breathe a sigh of relief now. You never have to talk about it again, right? You never have to talk about it again. And we're going to talk about Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2 and bloody hell, we made hard work of this. We made really hard work of this, conceding within nine seconds. I think it was 9.11 seconds. Roughly the same time Usain Bolt finished the 100 metres, I think. Um, we were 1-0 down to fill it with billing. Um, I did not see that coming. And I don't know what you guys thought. It was a really clever um, kickoff routine. Um, some of their players were already in our half, VAR, but <laughs> I'll give it them. Um, what did you think when you saw that first goal go in, Adam? Because I was confident up until about half time, And I was like, ah, oh, shit, we might not do this. I think there was a certain patterns of play that Gary O'Neill clearly targeted mm-hmm. and that was one of them so he clearly identified from the off that maybe Arsenal are a bit too relaxed and certainly mm-hmm. that was told by the way they played I mean if you think about the bodies that Bournemouth committed if that gone wrong you're going the other end and potentially Straight scoring yeah, so yeah. this is the thing that this is the way it could have played out however I think they really did kind of go to the plan they really articulated the plan they did it to the letter and it was just probably just those little moments I think that that's the unfortunate thing about Bournemouth is they have those lapses of concentration now the, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the last goal but the other two goals in particular I just feel like yeah, you could have done better in sort of defending those scenarios. Um, granted, White, you can't stop him from headering it. And, you know, it was VAR that kind of showed it bounced over the line, essentially. But, yeah, apart from that, I think that that's the kind of elements that Bournemouth are lacking this season. It's not just this game. It's been other games as well. Um, but, yeah, they played it really close. I mean, you have to give it to Bournemouth. We knew they were a little bit of a counter-attacking threat. Um but yeah, I'm just unfortunate. I think it's just that little bit of quality and the fact that Arsenal managed to bring it. And I, just to bring it to my scenes on Saturday evening, I was at a party, family gathering. We were all kind of around this TV, Soccer Saturdays kicking off. And it's Paul Merson talking about this I last minute video. corner. And oh. we all, before that corner was taken, we said, it's going to happen. We knew it was going to happen and it bloody well happens, doesn't it? Because it's just the I, I knew it was going to happen this yeah. I knew it was going to happen this week. So I remember the previous week, I had started giving it some fire. <laughs> on <the water laughs> and I was literally sat there, right, uh, at the time. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be fucking funny. And then I was like, no, I can't say anything. I'm going to wait till the game is finished. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I will then I will make comments. And I'm glad that I did that on this occasion. 
Well, I, I, I'm gutted. Next time, just send the message. Let's see what happens. But I think, <laughs> like, to be honest, Bournemouth could have gone 2-0 up. Um, Ramsdale made an incredible save really soon after the first goal as well. Like, Ramsdale made some unbelievable saves this game. And I feel like there is a, a slight area that Arsenal need to look at here. Like, because I don't know how sustainable it is to keep coming back from games in the last minute. Now, the, between the Villa game and this game, we have also kept two clean sheets. So you have to say, look, this isn't every game, but we do have these lapses where you go, okay, guys, just chill out a bit. And I think we need, mm. there's definitely a conversation to be had there in something, uh, an area of concern. I think Thomas Partey for the first goal was completely out of position lost track of his runner completely. He does the same for the corner as well. So defensively, he was absolutely shocking. Um, and you could say that both goals were kind of his fault or he was a major part of it. So I think there's a, there's a in transition, we need to be looking at what we're doing. But that being said, the sheer refusal to lose in this team is honestly, I love every last one of them. So that like... That last goal, and like Reese Nelson, the story for Reese Nelson as well is like not only within this squad, not only have we got these players that we've brought in that are doing incredibly well, all the big moments tend to be Hale End graduates. We've had the Saka moments, we've had the Smith Rowe moments, and now we've had the Reese Nelson moment and Ketia moments. But like Reese Nelson, his career, he was people were super excited about him when he came through. He was like the player at Arsenal, he was going to be one of the best players for England, super hot prospect. Things between injuries, managerial changes, failed loan moves. His career just hasn't panned out so far how you would like. He's still 23 and he's now scored three goals and he got two assists and he's played 87 minutes of football. Um, like Arteta knows how to coach wingers. And even before he scored this goal, and this is going to sound like, like um, revisionism now, but I was honestly going to tweet saying... Nelson has been class since he came on. He just stayed out wide. The cross he put in for Ben White's um, Ben White's equaliser was an unbelievable cross. And he had that um, Bournemouth wing back every single time he was at him. And I think he genuinely he had an incredible performance. That goal was the coolest finish in the least cool circumstances. I don't know how he kept his head. And there's, it's now my my screensaver on my phone. I don't know if you're able to see it, but <laughs> the Caravaggio painting that is all the players reacting to that goal. There's like people on the deck, people crying. Did you see Arteta high-fiving that kid and then being like, oh crap, whose kid is this? And having to like <laughs> take him to security. Like the whole stadium collectively lost its mind. And I think there's been so many moments and it feels like every every week and every episode I say this now, but so many moments of this season where you're just going to look back on it regardless of what happens and go, that was a great moment. And like, even on Twitter, there was a thread of videos of people from around the world, like commentators, Arsenal support groups, just celebrating that goal. It felt like a huge moment. Like it's been compared to the Arsh having goal against Barcelona, the Welbeck goal against Leicester the one thing I don't want it to have in common with those goals is that both of those goals counted for nothing. We mm. went to New Camp and lost after that Arshavin uh, goal and the Welbeck goal. We ultimately lost the title. So I really hope this goal counts. That's how I want it to be different. But it was a really incredible moment. And I think Arteta will still have them in the training ground going, this isn't good enough. But the belief, again, that team gets... I think it's good. I think it's just it's just incredible. What a game! And you have to say, Bournemouth fair play. Like fair play. Mm -hmm. they genuinely, yeah. they genuinely put up a fight. And they was they were a team. It was two teams that were fighting for very different things. And we saw a proper scrap. I would have rather had a two nil 
comfortable win, I think. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it on Saturday. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna end Arsenal there if unless anybody's got anything else to say, any words for Bournemouth or Arsenal? No advancements, but yeah, fair play to Bournemouth. I thought that thought they gave you a game. That's the thing. I don't think we anticipated mm-hmm. that, but they gave you a game. I think Bournemouth are trying with the resources they have available to them, are trying their absolute hardest. Like I said, I mm-hmm. think even if they do go down this season, I think it won't certainly certainly won't be for lack of effort. Yeah. Uh, it most definitely be for lack of backing, uh, but not lack <laughs> yeah. of effort by stretch. I think those are the kind of games where teams win titles. You know, you mm-hmm. see Leicester get those last minute winners over Man City when they win it. I've seen Manchester United do it quite a few times in the Fergie years. It's it's just it's one of those when it's your year, it's your year, and that's the kind of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's the kind of performance. That happens when things are going um, in a positive direction. So they can't keep doing that because they will come unstuck at some point. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, I guess for an Arsenal fan, they would hope that that maybe that moment comes after they've won the league. But <laughs> yeah, um, then just take your foot off the gas completely. Man, yeah, I don't give man, a shit. <laughs> Manchester City are not going to lose too many games between now and the no. end of the season, if any at all. So well, we saw. Sorry, we saw in their performance against Newcastle, that was clinical. Like, Newcastle should mm-hmm. have got something out of that game. They had the chances. But City, like, the second after Newcastle miss, a, miss an opportunity, City go up and get the second, game over. Like, you can see City going on a run now. This is when they kick into gear. And I'm like, we need to be perfect now. We need, mm-hmm. we cannot, we just have to be faultless. And it's absolutely terrifying. Um, but we are going to move on. And we're going to go for... Next, shall we talk? Um, do we want to talk Southampton? Do we want to talk Brighton? Do we I want to talk Wolves? Forest, Forest, Everton. Yeah, that Forest, was... Everton. Adam, take us through it. I thought that was a really interesting game. Probably not the purest of football games, let's put it that way, because between the two of them, I think the match of the day kind of showed that they couldn't put a passing move together, which was surprising for Everton, given that they had Lampard's philosophy of football, which is just pass, 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 right? Um, But it was just... I, I felt like we spoke about on Thursday's pod that we felt like maybe Nottingham Forest would have the quality in this match. But Everton actually turned up for the first 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. They actually did have a good performance. And there was periods of it where they seemed like they were absorbing a lot of the Forest pressure, a lot of their attacks. You know, it didn't seem like Forest necessarily had a good idea of what to do. But when you have a striker like Brennan Johnson, who just seems like a cut above the rest, he's got obviously that heritage with Nottingham Forest. His dad used to play for them. He's been brought up through the Youth Academy. He really wants to do well for the club. I think that really helps with a club like Nottingham Forest. And it was just great to see just how contrasting and how end-to-end the match was. But the other thing to highlight here is how Everton really do lack a centre forwards. They really did struggle in that second half where there was opportunities where if I was playing on a Wednesday night, I'd be whipping that ball into the box, but no one is running into the box. Mm. So they are reliant on the likes of Damari Gray or someone to kind of run off like the winger or the attacking player. You had Seamus Coleman almost being the attacking outlet and that's not a great thing to kind of call about when he's supposed to be a right back. 
Um, so and he's also, still, I'm sorry, Seamus, but he's also getting on a bit as well. Like, yes, yeah, it's exactly. pace ain't there. He hasn't got the yeah. stamina that he used to have. Um, but yeah, just final word. I feel like that's the area that Everton are going to struggle for the rest of the season. They mm-hmm. they are going to be reliant on Damari Gray potentially by the look of things because Neil Malpe came on with like a couple minutes ago. He's not fancied. That leaves you with a real dilemma of who's going to score those important goals. I just couldn't see it. And I know this is a one of those games where you kind of expect to get a win if you want to stay in the league. I think they're going to struggle for the rest of the season. I, think, I know there's worse yeah. sides, but I still think that is, that's the I issue. Think I think, Dice, I think Dice alluded to that in previous interviews, though. He's mm. basically said that everyone needs to chip in. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, Dominic Cavan-Lewis, his fitness issues are well documented. I think uh, it's fair to say he can't be relied upon. You know, Neil Mopé, I thought admittedly it was a smartish signing when it first happened. But, yeah. you know, I thought he'd at least get, you know, not maybe 20 goals, but maybe nine or 10, 10 goals. Yeah. You know, enough goals to at least make a contribution, but that clearly um, hasn't happened. Uh, so they're just they're very much stuck with it, really. And I think they will, by sheer... Uh, good coaching and organisation bail themselves out of it. Because I think, um, if you look at Leeds and you look at West Ham, like they're worse sides than Everton at the moment with worse coaches. The only thing that concerns me for Everton is their run of fixtures. (laughs) Like, Mm. So they've got Brentford at home next and then they've got Chelsea away, Tottenham at home, United away, Fulham at home. They've got Palace away. We did it like on the last show. We talked about Palace away. Maybe you get something. Newcastle at home. Leicester away. Brighton away. City at home. Wolves away. And then Bournemouth at home on the final day. I can't see a game where they get a win there. Honestly. I don't know, actually, because I think under normal circumstances, you would be absolutely right. But if you look at where Tottenham are this season with their capacity to mm-hmm. capitulate. If you look at Chelsea with their almost Everton-like inability to score goals, just with a more expensively assembled bunch of players <laughs> that can't yeah. score any goals. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there is there is games that they could probably still get something out of. You might not necessarily expect it, but I think... Um, you know, a bit like we did against Arsenal in the first league game they played against, mm. there's still a potential there, because I think what Dyche will do is that he will organize them to, to not concede too many. Um, and I think they, they will nick something out of those games. Uh, plus, I think the other side of it is you know, where do West Ham start picking up points? Or because uh, I don't see them picking up mm-hmm. too many. I think yeah. we should well, go to that next, to be fair. That <laughs> <Yeah>. is a <laughs> very nice segue, Andy. That is a very nice segue, and we're going to go for Brighton absolutely battering the hammers and this was it was rough viewing now ben johnson is a player that i've been quite excited about at west ham i've seen him play a few times and i was like okay this is a this is a player that could keep an eye on now i'm not saying he's the only one i don't even know why i'm really singling him out i just know that for two of the goals he was completely left asleep and needs to learn how to turn his neck a little bit because they were running (laughs) completely behind him with all the space in the world. But it was grim viewing for West Ham. Friend of the show, Tom, I'm just finding the tweet. He did send, he listens to the West Ham Way podcast and the intro to the show was, what a shower of shit we witnessed at the Amex on Saturday. (laughs) When is enough going to be enough? That is the intro to their podcast. Andy, I'm going to start with you. It does look... It looks like Moyes has lost it now, right? 
I mean, we've been saying that for a couple of weeks, haven't we? And he's still in the job. Well, and they got a 4 quite... last week it... and it looked like he turned it round. Yeah, but... it's just really quite rude for them not to sack him before this pod as well. Uh... <laughs> it's going to be tomorrow, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> tomorrow, first thing, 9 o'clock, he'll be sacked. Yeah. Um, but it, I think what seems... With David Moyes, it's like he's one of those managers. You're not going to get free-flowing football. You should mm-hmm. never expect it. But when what you bring to the table is meant to be his defensive solidarity and organisation and, you know, a real a fighting spirit in that team and that deserts you, that's when you know your time is up. Because you can tolerate bad football if it's yielding results and you can yeah. see... You know, you can see it as he's at least implementing what he what style he wants to in the team. Whereas defensively, we look, you know, it was an absolute shambles. Each of the goals was just schoolboy defending. I mean, the, the first goal for the penalty was just an absolute shit show. Uh, it was yeah. just like uh, you don't just bundle back into the back of somebody, you know, even without VAR and not expect mm-hmm. a penalty to be given. Um, I think, you know. I think Matoma's an absolutely wonderful player, by the way. Yeah, but he might have done it again. I think yes. he would 100% fit in um, you know, at, at an Arsenal or somewhere like that very, very easily. But no, with West Ham, they just haven't, again, for the full club, they've actually spent quite a bit of money. They haven't got, they haven't replaced the quality. I think with Ogbonna, he's been there a few years. I think they should have moved him on a long time ago. Mm-hmm. There's... Whether there's any truth in it, I don't know, but there seems to be a little bit of accusations towards Declan Rice that maybe mm. he sees his he sees his future elsewhere. Uh, you know, he, his interviews, I think some West Ham fans have commented, feels like he's absolving himself of any sort of blame. Mm. Uh, God, it's more a collective thing, and I think that's maybe proving a bit of irritation. But I think West Ham fans are not usually a happy bunch anyway. I mean, they've not been happy since they moved to the London Stadium. No, well, and that's the, true. for about the past five years, they the only ever seen two or three games away from pretty much outright mutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with Moyes, I think I think the only reason why it's probably still in the job is that there doesn't seem to be any replacements. Available, especially someone um, who's going to come in and do that say saving relegation. He's usually the person you bring in to save you from relegation. Exactly, and the other person you go from here. And the other person, the other person you bring in is at Everton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't really. If they do sack David Moyes, I don't really see what, what who they could bring in mm. that would be like. Yep, you could do it. They might well get there through sheer force of. Uh, just be slightly less shit. But I think mm-hmm. as well, I mean, if you look at Skamaka, I think one of the strangers that West Ham fans have is that he's not had enough time on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've paid, what, 40-odd million for him or something like that? Like million, big, yeah. Big, big money, and he doesn't really get regular starts. And I think for any striker to really get a... Um, a run of game, they have to give him a run of games. You have to give mm-hmm. him a run of games together. And I think he does provide a presence in the box. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, you know, Moyes clearly doesn't fancy him because he brought in Danny Ings. And I think there'd be a benefit to maybe going a bit more attacking with putting both of them up front because you need goals. Mm-hmm. And goals is what is what's going to get you um, out of that relegation scrap. But I think Moyes will eventually lose his job because it feels like the players don't seem to be buying into what he's doing. And he's certainly lost the backing of the fans. Um, so, yeah, I don't see that lasting too much longer. 
Grim times at the London Stadium, but Adam Brighton, they are finding themselves. They are they have three games in hand on fourth place Tottenham. Um and they are only um my maths is terrible, seven points behind them. Now I was looking at their games in hand. They mm-hmm. have got to play. I thought I wrote this down, but it's gone now. Um, oh, they've got to play Palace at home, Bournemouth away, and Newcastle away. Now, all of those games, you could arguably say, beyond apart from Newcastle away, but that's not as difficult as it used to be, you could make an argument for Brighton winning all of those games. Do you think Brighton is still there to make the push for at least Europa League? Definitely, definitely. When you've got players like Casido coming back into the fray as well, like, you know, we talk about... And he signed a contract as well. Signed a new contract just prior to the game, obviously till 2027. Um, but more importantly, just the way he comes into it, obviously from that break of not getting the move that he desired and still puts in a performance like that, I mean, that's world away from what we've said about Declan Rice and maybe Bruno Fernandes in terms of attitude and how you apply yourself into a game where he could have easily sulked in this. Um, But he knows he's not going to get himself a chance to play football if he does that attitude. And that's Deserby's kind of philosophy. You don't want to be here? Cool. We'll just let you go elsewhere. And then he did that with Trossard. So um, that really kind of tells you what you need to know. And I think it's interesting how Deserby talks about Lewis Dunk prior to this match as well, because he's been a diehard, obviously a regular but it is kind of from the back onwards that they seem to be so solid in every department. Now, we used to joke about De Zerbi being open, expansive football, lots of goals, both sides. But actually, you saw a completely different, mature side against West Ham. I appreciate it's a West Ham side that's really poor at the moment, but they have got their moments. And I think it was just made easier by West Ham and certain players like Jared Bowen, who gave away that poor penalty, for example. Um, And it was just left open for someone of Brighton's quality. Like you allude to, though, definitely could see them getting seven points, which would definitely close that gap between them and Spurs. So um, really excited about what Brighton could do for the rest of the season. It's definitely going to be interesting between them, Fulham and possibly Spurs for that mix. Mm, I was just looking through their past matches. They've only, like the last time they conceded more than one goal was the 21st of January. Like, and even going back then, they like 5 1 against Middlesbrough, 4 1 against Everton, 3 1 against Southampton. Like, they don't concede many goals. They got a few clean sheets in there as well, like 2 1 yeah. against Liverpool. Yeah, you're right. Defensively, they are a lot stabler or more stable than we kind of maybe anticipated. But yeah, a hell of a run for them. Again, as Andy said, Matoma absolutely smashing it up. Just unbelievable player. They are going to get so much money for him. It's going to be over 100 million (laughs) when he eventually leaves. He is going to get, they're going to get so much for him. And McAllister as well. Just another unbelievable performance from him. I can't help but think, and I know they're not exactly like the same kind of player, but I can't help but think that Chelsea maybe bought the wrong Argentinian midfielder because <laughs> the guy is absolutely killing it. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams queuing up for him as well. But we are, I think, because I'm very aware of time, we're about halfway through the show, more or less. We are going to go to Serie A. We need to discuss Calcio. There wasn't a lot of goals. There wasn't a lot of goals, guys. Sunday no. was a slow day. But I promise you it's worth tuning in for. We will see you in Italy after this. My name is David Artel and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. Ciao, benvenuti, come stai? Welcome uh, to the Serie A section and it is time 
for some calcio. And we're going to start with, no, not that one. Ah, we're going to start <laughs> with a Moo Classic. Where did I put it? Another Moo Classic. Roma won, <laughs> Juventus nil. Roma have zero opportunities. Juve have all the opportunities. And of course, it is 1-0 to Mourinho through his, I think, his reincarnate on the pitch, Mancini. Now, we've talked about Mancini being a bell end, and Mourinho isn't <laughs> yeah. that much of a bell end, but it does feel like he's kind of Mourinho's spirit player on the pitch. I think he mm. epitomizes everything that is Moo. Um, so many moments I loved about this game. As the goal went in, the um, completely polar opposite reactions of Tammy Abraham and Mourinho. So Tammy Abraham just bombs it down the line and Mourinho is just there still writing on his paper. He did his classic thing of running off the bench to shouting at the ref. Um, there was just so much to enjoy in this game. But Adam, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of this game? I thought it, was, it wasn't it was a classic, but it was an interesting no. one. Far from it. It was very boring in the first half and I was wondering whether I actually tuned into the right match because um, <laughs> yeah. it was a poor match. Um, it could have easily gone the way of Juve as well because Pratizio in the first half has to pull off an amazing save from mm -hmm. Vlavic. Vlavic, who we mentioned in the last pod, being someone that's gone under the radar a lot um, purely because he has no shooting boots at the moment. Um, mm. But that said, obviously, there was a little bit of pressure just prior to that Mancini goal. So, I mean, obviously, Juve were pushing it. They were trying to like get opportunities. They weren't necessarily working it because they were just kind of crossing it and expecting someone to get in the end of it. But the problem was it was so high for the likes of Ibanez and Mancini, they were just clearing it out very easily. And then Mancini, I don't know what he was doing in that third of the pitch, but when he smacks <laughs> it, that was absolutely <laughs> glorious the just for the hit. scenes. The scenes itself was just glorious to see. And it was beautiful because you could see this was the Mourinho tactic. This was their plan. It was literally get the goal, shut up shop. And yeah. Do you know, towards the end of the match, you, you even saw the substitutions being really articulate in the sense of cast drop coming in to just try and run it, try and do mm -hmm. more with the ball and just take it to the other end of the pitch, really frustrate Juventus. And Juventus didn't necessarily, I didn't feel like confident that they would get back themselves back into the match. No. They certainly had the better of the opportunities. Di Maria almost scoring, you know, he had that free kick as well. If it doesn't get deflected, it might have gone in. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about Moses Kane and his uh, 42nd appearance <laughs> in this match as well, which was just brilliant. Um, but interesting stat, obviously Mourinho has now taken points off the top three in Serie A again this season. So this adds to that tally as well. Uh, I appreciate they're not in that top four mix, but arguably on form we were talking about on Thursday mm -hmm. they should be second in the league without that points deduction so yeah not a great game for Juventus or Allegri but good result for Mourinho I'm sure he's purring he'll follow it up with a loss probably again <laughs> next weekend knowing Roma um but it's no typical doubt. Mourinho typical Mourinho yeah well it's kind of a weird it's a mad run that Roma are on now so that's five wins at home and five clean sheets it's like the best run they've had since 2007 2008 I think the season what no 2017 sorry was the season last time they went this long unbeaten at home without conceding a goal the stadium now is consistently sold out now something about Roma yeah. that people were always talking about was oh the, like the stadium's huge they can never yeah. fill it it always looks crap it is full every single game now the, the owner's 
Like the owners there, Mourinho, have done a hell of a job of getting people back mm-hmm. interested in that club and back into the ground. And it makes a huge difference. You look at it and you go, and then you look at their home form and you go, ah, okay, yeah, that's why. Like when you hear them sh- uh, singing Roma, Roma, Roma before yeah. kickoff and after when they've won, it's just incredible. It's incredible. I, I still, it's on my bucket list of stadiums to go and see a game at. But I thought it was, yeah, as we said, classic Mourinho. Um, Juventus had 14 shots. Um, I think Roma had like four, I want to say. Yeah, um, five, sorry. Um, but, Andy, I wanted to talk to you about Juve because it's kind of interesting. Vlavic had the fewest touches of anyone on the pitch. He had 18 touches. Adam did kind of say there, he came close, but it does feel like he's getting a little bit lost there. Do you think, I get the feeling he needs a strike partner. I don't know if he's the type of player who can do it all on his own. I think he needs better service as well, to be honest, because as well as watching the highlights of that game, it was just literally a combination of mainly Di Maria just hitting it from range. Mm. Like, yeah, and yeah. I think the problem with Allegri, he, there's not too, there's not much inventiveness in that mm. team. They struggle to break down a packed de- defence. And, you know, as Adam alluded to, just lumping it into the box isn't going to work with mm. a team like that. Um, you know, although Di Maria and Locatelli have some good shots from range, you still most of the time expect the keeper to save it. Um, mm. And it, it just felt like they were lacking ideas or they couldn't put together a, a passing move uh, good enough to, to breach the defence. And I think that's where they wrote wrong. You know, they needed to be a bit more overlapping, you know, a bit like Man City do, you know, overlap, mm-hmm. cut back, try and stretch the defence a little bit rather than just hoof get into the box or crack one in for 25 yards. Because although that will work in one, one in a hundred times, you can still get through that. Um, mm. Maybe that's something that Pogba will bring now that he started to get some match fitness built up and he looked lively when he come on. He did. Um, so maybe that will work itself. And he's the sort of player that can, you know, when he's on form, unlock a defence and puts a bit more quality. And I think that's where Roma lacked. Because uh, I think, you know, Di Maria has been playing well recently, but he does need to add a bit more variety on occasion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, say with Cadrado as well. I think could he have maybe crossed the ball in rather than trying to go for goal from a tight angle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's just a lack of imagination, I think, was Juve's main undoing. Um and maybe that's a consequence of what they've got in midfield. They need a bit more creativity and a bit more you know, sort of like a Pirlo figure. I think mm-hmm. they haven't they haven't really replaced like a Pirlo figure since he you know retired. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's where they're really lacking. Um, and you know, probably a new goalkeeper one day as well. There's always a weekly highlight of Wojciech Szczesny doing weird <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, he, he sort of comes up for the ball like he's Superman and he goes, oh shit, I'm not going to get it. Yep. <laughs> all in midair, all at the same time. But look, he pulled himself out of it. That's quite funny. But yeah, I think um, it's very on brand for Roma, isn't it? To lose against Cremonese. And um, yeah, and then pull pull one in against um, Juve. Very very on brand. Um, Absolutely classic Roma. But Andy, uh, Adam, sorry, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to also say that Allegri has got a really good player on the bench called Federico Chiesa, who he refuses <laughs> to play as well. Easily could be the foil for Vlavic if he played yeah. him just behind him or beside him. 
Um, and he just, for some reason, constantly doesn't play him or plays him at right wing back and expects him to do a performance there, which is the frustrating thing, not just yeah. for like general football fans of Serie A, but also for Juve fans because <laughs> they are screwing at him for just playing him in these random positions or cameo appearances like yeah. they did against Roma. So they, they've got the players. It's just the frustration of Allegri as well. A 4-3-3 makes sense with that squad, right? A four yeah. th- like You have a front three of Vlavic, Chiesa and Di Maria. And then the midfield, you can have like Miretti, uh, Locatelli and Pogba, Fagioli, whatever. Perhaps. You can have... A, yeah. And you've still got your wing-backs. You've still got your wing-backs, Allegri. You've still got Gossage, <laughs> Quadrado. You can keep them. No one's taking them, but you can just have two more up top. It does seem like... And when I looked at the formation, I was like... It was four 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 one one technically, I think, is yeah. what it was. It was a three five one one or whatever. But like it just yeah, it looks completely like Vlavic has just stood on his own going, hopefully one will bounce in off my arse or something, because it's the only <laughs> way I'm ever gonna get anything. It just he seems so lonely, the poor boy. He should have come to Arsenal. Um, but yeah, Roma, a massive, massive win. And in the table, that does put them kind of Honestly, if one of these key one of these teams can just string together any level of consistency, they can really get a hold of this top four. But that does put Roma up into fourth, level on points with Milan um, on forty-seven <laughs> points. And that being said, should we go to Milan Fiorentina? I think yeah, that's the next stop. Milan Fiorentina. Now that is Italiano ball. That is what we've yeah. been waiting for. Yeah. This is what we knew he was capable of. They've been getting results in the Conference League, and finally they get a result against one of the big boys. Milan didn't really turn up, but seeming as you're in their shirt, Adam, I'm going to kick off with you. Fiorentina really turned up. They did. They did. And it was good to see. It was beautiful to see, actually, as well. That second half was probably the most assured Fiorentina side I've seen this season. I know we've had a few victories in the Europa League, which... I kind of discount because it's just basically the lead that I concentrate when I look at Fiorentina. But that was the best performance I've seen them. Like you say, Milan wasn't there. They weren't there. They didn't seem mentally there. Like Mm -hmm. that was the weird thing, given the form that they had. Tomori looks a mess at the back, conceding that uh, penalty. And Gonzalez picks himself up to score for that one. But like uh, we'll talk about Jovic comes off the bench and has a flying kind of throw at a cross and gets the connection and just everything about the way Fiorentina played. I mean, it just looked like they could have even absorbed more pressure and gone on to score a few more. And But they decided to, in that last five minute spell, just, just to basically take their time. If they mm-hmm. wanted to, they could have scored more. Um, that Teo goal, we have to hand it to Teo. That was a very well consolation. That is it incredible, <laughs> but it was far too late, unfortunately. That was the only time that I ever saw them really threatening because Ibrahimovic had his chances, but it was quite kind of tame shots. It almost feels like Ibra can only come on and do flick ons these days. Um, but yeah, it was good to see that, him though. Eh? It was good, nice to see him, nice to see him. Considering the injuries he's had, which is like quite a big injury in itself. But yeah, Fiorentina, it was beautiful to see. Beautiful to see them cheerful for once. And mm-hmm. uh, Italiano, more more impressed and happy for him because I think yes. there was a lot of pressure on him to get results. And that would have helped his time or at least buy him some more time anyway. 
Well, so exactly. And he's a manager who was coming under pressure. I think people were starting to look at him going, Fiorentina should not be that far down. But what I saw it as, I was looking at like the stats from the game. And in terms of shots from within the area, Fiorentina managed to have 12 shots from within the area. Milan only had five. And it just seemed like Fiorentina were so e- they were so able to just run through that defence. And as you said, it was seen in the first goal with Tomori just bundling, um, bundling the guy down they were just able to run through that defence, run through that defence. And it's something that we've been saying about Tiao and Tomori and Kalula. They've been really mm. solid, really solid. And it all just went today, well, went yeah. um, on Saturday. Whereas Fiorentina just defended their box so well and Milan mm. were unable to play through it. And as you said, just getting flick-ons from Ibrahimovic, you're going to need more than that. You're going to need a few, like we've talked about, stretching defences out of shape and kind of pulling mm. them apart. And Milan were just not able to do it for Milan Teo is having a hell of a season <laughs> he's having an incredible season he's scoring a lot recently um for Milan Andy are we ever going to see them be consistent I just can't <laughs> it just it's whenever you think they've cracked it they just collapse I think I think they will get some consistency having Mike Mannion back at, um, at the in goal, I think it's a huge, huge bonus for them. You know, Tamori will have much, much better games than he had um, against them. I mean, that was a Stonewall penalty. It was just like, yeah. you can't you can't go in from someone from behind unless you're 110% know that you're going to get the ball. And even then, you probably still shouldn't. Um, yeah. It's an independent <laughs> yeah. area. It's, um, uh, yeah, I think, again, a bit like with you, then, they just lacked a little bit of creativity, really. I think um, the need an alternate sort of option up front because in with Giroud and Ibrahimovic they've just effectively got two big lads um and you can only play like a certain way with it I think they do you know other than chucking the owl up front I think the other alternative we've got is maybe to look in look in the summer for somebody who could break the offside trap a little bit give them something a little bit different um because I think they're coming quite predictable. Because if you if you can press like a reasonably high line um, and give too much space between Giroud and the goal, which Fiorentina did quite well at stages, um, I think that's where you need to have different options on there. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I think uh, with um, Fiorentina, they've won. Obviously, what is it like? They've picked up like, three wins out of their past four games in all competitions. Uh, they've started to really turn it up again. I think dropping. Lukijovic, maybe that's giving him the kick up the arse that he needed. Mm-hmm. Because you look, you know, you, a diving header like that. I know it sounds like such a cliche, but that's where you really, really want it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you're yeah, getting yeah, there yeah. no matter what. Like, and that's mm. the kind of when you're not playing too well and you haven't had the rub of the green, so to speak. That's the kind of effort you need to put in to get get yourself a goal, get yourself off the mark, and maybe that'll be the start of a, a more positive outcome for over the rest of the season. Because I'm I'm, I'm a fan of him. I think he, mm. there is there's a good player there. Uh, he's just made poor choices <laughs> in terms of yeah. football clubs. Um, and I think maybe it could be um, a sign of a turnaround for him. Well, I hope so. He, he he was speaking in an interview this week where he came out and said the Real Madrid move was too early for him. He realises that he's kind of lost his way a bit and it's time for him to get back playing the football that he enjoyed at Frankfurt and hopefully doing it for La Viola because we've talked about how good a squad and how good a manager they've got there. It just feels like this mm. season's just got away from him a little bit, but there's always, yeah. always next season. We do need to move on and we need to talk. It's, it, sh- it could have been, it looked like it was going to be the headline of the weekend. Friday night, 
Maurizio Sarri returns to Naples and Lazio. Bloody hell. Their record against the top teams now. I'm just going to go through it. So they have beaten Napoli 1-0 away. They've beaten Milan 4-0 at home. They've beaten Roma 1-0 away, technically. They've beaten Atlanta away 2-0. They've beaten Inter at home 3-1. So their record against the top teams this season is unbelievable. And fun little stat, Anderson has scored in all of those games, except the Napoli game. He scored in every single one of those games against the big teams. A player who looked so lost at West Ham, absolutely loving life back at Lazio. But Lazio, Adam, how did they do it? Like, we'll talk about Napoli, but Lazio were bloody good. Yeah, I think this is the thing. You always found that Sari would kind of be intuitive and clever with the way he approached this match. And the one thing that he did was just compact the midfield, completely compact it. You know, he had just willing runners, made sure that he would frustrate Napoli. Ultimately, Napoli had not a bad game, but they just weren't on the A game, should we say. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to take away or make opportunities count. Kvarats Kelia had a really quiet game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the fact that Ficinio, who obviously they got from Inter Milan, never really was spectacular at Inter Milan, but then has in, the game of the his life. Pretty happy yeah. for him to leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They were quite happy with him in Gagliardini. They're probably like the ones <laughs> to get out of the door. Um, but, yeah, he had an incredible game in this one. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, that shot was like, any other time, if he shoots that 10 times, he only gets that in once. And that mm -hmm. one time scores past Napoli. And this this is the thing. It wasn't necessarily a bad game, but you could see maybe signs of it when Di Lorenzo has to head it off the line. He backheads it off the line. That was a hell of a that clearance a of, as well. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing. And then you've got Chiro Mobile, who seems really quiet at the moment since he's come back into the fray for Lazio. That's the only one worry I'd have for Lazio is that since he's been in this kind of back from his injury, he hasn't necessarily performed well. But then again, look... You know, sorry, they had a plan, they executed it really well, and it's another fantastic performance. Put them up to second prior to Inter's win against Lecce. Yeah. And um, yeah, just to see Lazio that high up in the table is something that we haven't been used to for a number of seasons. We've been mm -hmm. used to them being gluttony and being really poor just due to lack of it, like foundation and maybe aspiration sometimes but mm -hmm. yeah i felt like that was a really good performance Lazio really pushing themselves let's hope they can keep it up though this is a problem and like you say they do really well against the big sides but when it comes to the sides that it should be around them they either draw or lose them as they did a yeah. few weeks ago against the likes of hellas verona etc so this is a thing this is where they this get unstuck this is exactly. I think like Sadi has been really good at preparing plans, right? For big teams, like you said, preparing plans, how are we going to deal with them? But what he needs to be able to do is enforce how they play on other teams. Like that's mm -hmm. the next step, right? It's been like, right, now we impose our style. But I was on Twitter and I saw a fantastic, fantastic um analysis of how Lazio dealt with Osman. And it's from at the odd solace. Um, and he was talking about how Sadi used the part of this plan was using the wing backs and they tucked in completely. So they were basically mm -hmm. two extra defensive midfielders, just completely filled that area for Napoli, forcing them out wide. Napoli just unable to get those intricate passes quickly enough to get through them. And then the way they marked Osimen out of the game. It was almost like, because we've seen that Osimen is a threat no matter where he is, right? If he's running off the shoulder, if it's in the air, 
And what they basically had was four people around him at any time blocking <laughs> off every pass. So it was someone to get the aerial cross, someone to get the, the through ball, someone to get the ball at the back. Like, And it was literally the whole plan around him. The The analysis was fantastic. And it, like you watch it back and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see that. And they just... Hopefully, not many other teams are looking because Napoli have to figure out a way to <laughs> stop that now because everyone's going to be looking at that as a blueprint. But they, they're they the first teams or one of the first teams that I think Inter kept in quiet as well, yeah. but one of the first teams to keep Osman quiet. And he was like, yeah, it was um, it was a bad night for Napoli. I think for them, this is just another one of, okay, a quick wake-up call. Like, guys, yeah. it's not done yet. You need to keep pushing. Um, but they didn't play that badly, Napoli. They no. weren't terrible. They just very, very indecisive. Just very indecisive and couldn't get that last little ball. But you, that's you're gonna get you're gonna get that over 38 yeah. games of the yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Like, you're gonna get games where you're not quite on it. Um, and when you're and, 15 points clear, yeah, you're gonna get that. I think. <laughs> um, so I don't think there's anything majorly to worry about. I know Napoli fans will worry because they've got PTSD <laughs> from basically every single year that's happened previously. Yeah. So maybe they should worry a little bit. But no, there's there's enough evidence there to suggest, a bit like they did when they lost against Inter just mm-hmm. after the well, you know, yeah, yeah. January, that they've got enough within them to just get through that, move on, you know, crack crack on the next game and I think a couple of 1-0 losses isn't going to be an absolute disaster for them but granted you know next week against Atalanta at home big game for them that'll be key that they recover from that um, but yeah I think um, they'll be alright it's just one of those mm-hmm. days where you have an off day Lazio defended absolutely brilliantly um, and you know it happens but yeah Nothing to worry about for him. Nothing to worry about, I think. Also, I have to shout out Romagnoli. He was unbelievable. And I've done, mm. I never thought I would say that about Romagnoli. Yeah, exactly. But he was absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> Scoring he had, goals for fun, wasn't he? <laughs> he had such a good game. I was like, bloody hell, how, where has this come from? Anyway, yeah. Shout out Romagnoli. Um, elsewhere, we do very quickly. I think where else are we going to talk about in Serie A? I feel like I wrote uh, something else down. Any other games you want to talk about in Serie A? Um, there Inter? wasn't any spectacular ones. Inter back to winning Inter ways. 2-0, that was nice. They, they controlled it against Lecce. It has to be said it was Lecce. But yes, um, Chanalogu. No, yeah, it was Chanalogu set up Mikitarian for the first one and then Lotaro for the second one. Fantastic hit as well. The move um, for the first goal was unbelievable as well. Beautiful. It was incredible. And Dumfries is back in the fray as well. A player that's mm-hmm. been on the sidelines, been quite frustrated. Looks like he might be on his way out. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, my friends, I think the only thing to call out, Sampdoria unlikely to get out of this relegation battle. Um, but I'd be more worried about Salernitana not having as many shots and they were the wayside um, and probably the better quality side. It's hard to say. And Spezia, unlucky against Hellas Verona. They had loads of opportunities, just couldn't tuck one shot away. So, yeah, not a spectacular weekend, as you alluded to at the very beginning, I'm afraid. I feel yeah, very... I mean, oh, sorry, I go on, say, Andy. Very, very quickly, Cremonese scored a couple of goals today, which is they really did. nice. Yes, uh, but, but lost. they lost... 90 <laughs> seconds minute uh winner from Ferrari. Uh yeah, it's uh, they've come to come back from two nil down and then lose it in the last minute. Uh but yeah, I, I just I just want them to get a couple more wins. Like they're putting in the effort, 
Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, for, for a team that doesn't really do much, uh, Cyril Dessa's probably is putting a bit of a shift forward this season. To yeah, yes. Like, yeah, when, yes. they put, when yeah. they put in a couple of goals, um, they, he does seem to be the one that gets them. So maybe, you know, if Cremonese are in Syria um, next season, I think he certainly... Um, will be. <laughs> so, well, when uh, they signed him from Feyenoord last year, because he played in the Conference League final against Roma, I was like, that is a hell of a signing. Yeah. I don't know how they've pulled that off. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, they're going to, he's going to be in Serie A next year. I think he's a decent striker. Cremonese just, just always that far. 83rd minute equaliser as well. 83rd minute. Um, elsewhere as well, Monza did come. They went 1-0 up. They got dragged back to 1-0 against Empoli, but it's a, the rumoured yeah. replacement for Skriniar at Inter. Um, Inter always doing it on a budget. Um, it's uh, <laughs> getting the winner. Um, so, you know, some there's some hope there for Inter fans. But yeah, not a stellar weekend in Serie I'm just counting them. One, two, three. Um, three nil-nils, two one-nils, bloody hell. Torino have just beaten Bologna one-nil as well. There we go. Jan Caramo again. He is hitting some great form, that guy. Mm, he is hitting some great form. Love to see it. Well, guys, I think that's the end of the show. This week, we do have Champions League, do we? Adam, take us through Champions League. We do. We have got tomorrow Chelsea versus Dortmund is one of the games that I did look at. Um, But whilst I bring up the other ones, we've obviously got the return legs of also uh, Bayern Munich versus PSG, or is that the Mm -hmm. next weekend? Sorry. Uh, We've also got Benfica versus Club Bruges. I think that's Fairly straightforward conclusion for Benfica, given the first leg. But we've also got Tottenham taking on Milan. Now, that is going to be the interesting game, given that Milan are winning only 1-0. And Spurs Mm. may be slightly better. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, Milan aren't great on away from home. That's the problem. Mm. So it'll be fascinating to see how they play this. But yeah. I'm expecting Milan to crawl away with at least a victory or at least something to take them through to the next round. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, um, but yeah, that's the way I see it happening. I hope so. I think that I think the big one's Chelsea Dortmund. Eh? That's the one that's going to be yeah. really interesting. I think Dortmund always have the potential to fuck up any situation, and I, I think they really think... should. They really should have got the second. They really should have got the second at home. Um, um, how do you see it going, win? Andy? I think. I think Chelsea might actually come away with a result. I think at home yeah. at Stamford Bridge, Potter really, really needs that result. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he could come away with a win against Dortmund, that gives him a little bit of breathing space. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it'll be a tight game uh, because both teams probably won't, 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 won't can't afford to lose that one. Um, in a hopeful shock, I could see, um, you know, Pep Guardiola overthinking it in the Champions League again and playing um, <laughs> Phil Foden at centre-back or something and we, lose, and we lose to a Timo Werner winner uh, at the Etihad, which would be absolutely glorious. But also this week, we've got the Thinking Man's Champions League on Thursdays. Um, so cool Kids Club. Are you yeah, the, cool, the kids cool Kids Club, club. <laughs> yes. So how do you see um, Sporting Arsenal going? Oh, I am expecting a heavily rotated team. I'll be honest. I really hope we heavily rotate. Um, what is going to be nice is Hector Bayerin. Hector Bayerin comes, gets to come back to the Emirates in the return leg, but it will be good to see Hector again. I do miss him and his lovely face. I miss Hector Bayerin, so it'll be good to see him, but I'm expecting it to be touch wood, relatively comfortable bit of rotation. Who have you got? You've got 
I can't remember got, Betis, right? But Betis, yeah. Um, another Spanish side again. I'm fed up the face of them twice. <laughs> they played Real Sociedad twice, Barcelona twice, a bloody Real Betis. Like we're getting do the, the tour. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you've also got the hipster choices. Um, you've got Union Berlin uh, and Union yeah. Saint Gallois. Um, sorry to any Belgian people if I pronounce that terribly, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, but they've had a really they've mm-hmm. pulled up trees in the Belgian league um, in the past couple of years. Um, so I think that'll be a hipster's choice again. Also, we've got Roma against Real Sociedad, and I think that's <laughs> a very win- mm. big, big game. But I think it's winnable for Roma, and I think they could get. Yeah. Result and Jose Europe is always a different animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, some good ones there. Yeah, yeah uh, the Union in uh, in Belgium they're also owned by the same owners as Brighton. Um, yeah, so you can get blue. a lot of very young, exciting players there. I did see when that <laughs> when that uh, match got drawn, Union uh, Union Berlin versus Union Gilwaz, or whatever it is. It was like all oh, Thatcher would have hated this game. <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens, the unions are going to win. A socialist <laughs> yeah. game. Absolutely fantastic. But guys, we are going to end the show there with a Thatcher reference. There you go. I didn't see that happening this, this episode. <laughs> it anyway. should happen again. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but we will see you on Friday after all that Champions League and Europa League action. Um, guys, anything to say before we go? Uh, that's beautiful. No, that's all good. Ever. Okay, it's time for the wave, guys. We will see you later, guys. Thanks for joining us. See you on Friday. Podcast Network.